What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. And man, we've got a lot to talk about this week. A lot has changed since the last time I talked on this podcast. And I am wrong once again. There's a lot going on. And if we could start college football tomorrow, I would be stoked. Pick the lesser of two evils. Are you Team Saban or Team Jimbo Fisher? These guys are throwing darts at each other, and we're still four months away from college football getting underway. But the quotes coming out of that rivalry are terrific. We'll go over that a little bit later. Since the last time we talked, we've got conference finals in the NBA. And it's exactly who I thought wasn't going to be there. Remember the last time we talked? The Dallas Mavericks and Phoenix Suns were about to play game six. The Mavericks had a chance to take them to seven games. Luka Doncic and a bunch of dudes. And Luka Doncic got it done. But if you thought that was the biggest ass whooping last weekend when the Phoenix Suns lost by 39 points to the Dallas Mavericks, you're wrong. Because I sit here today looking like a bearded dragon. I'm shedding everywhere. My skin's peeling from every inch of my body. Because I thought, you know what? It's 90 degrees out this Saturday. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to get a tan. No sunscreen. Let's get the first burn of the year out of the way. And for years, I've had a rivalry with the sun. And the sun keeps on winning. The sun took me to the back shed and said, listen, old buddy. You got to put something on. You got to put something on your skin because I'm about to destroy you today. And I got destroyed. I think I got sun poisoning. Didn't even know that was a thing. But I ordered some food at dinner that same night after going to the beach. And all of a sudden I got nauseous. Started to turn white. I didn't touch anything. I was starving for like five minutes. And then all of a sudden, I almost thought I was going to throw up, faint, whatever it was. The sun beat the living hell out of me. Hey, but first burn of the year, baby, let's go. I'm only going to be a beard and dragon for, I don't know, a couple more days, but it's bad. It's not looking great for me. But let's talk about the NBA Conference Finals. In the Eastern Conference, we have the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics. Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum. Can these guys be number one dudes on a championship team? That's the question. I said Jason Tatum. Yes, certainly he can be a number one guy on a championship team. I watched him at Duke. He's gotten better every single year. He could do it. Let's go Celts. A Lakers fan just rooting for the Celtics because Jason Tatum, the brotherhood. Duke University, baby. Then you got Jimmy Butler in game one going for 41 points. 41 points giving the Celtics the business. The Heat win game one, 118 to 107. And Tatum and the Celtics looked good in that first half. They led by eight at halftime. Tatum had 21 points. He was driving to the hole, knocking down his shots. He was throwing up prayers, it looked like, that were always falling in. And then the third quarter rolled around, and the Miami Heat, or the Monstars, took everything. All the talent away from the Boston Celtics because the Heat went on a 22-2 run 
to start the third quarter. The Celtics shot 2 of 15 from the field. There were four or five straight possessions. When the Celtics would cross half court and throw the ball away, Miami takes it to the other end, slam dunk. And Jimmy Butler was making everything. And in a game where three point, the three-point shot has become so prevalent, so important, teams are shooting 40, 50 threes a game. It's kind of a beauty to watch Jimmy Butler knock down 18 footers with a hand in his face every single time down the floor. He got to the free throw line 18 times, 18 of 19, knocking them down. The Celtics won every single quarter in that game, but the third quarter, the Miami Heat said, nope, not anymore, we're going to win this game. And even with Jimmy Butler's 41 points, you're kind of looking around saying, who are the other guys helping out? No other guy on the Miami Heat scored 20 points or more. Gabe Vincent had a terrific game. He's another guy on the Miami Heat that I haven't done a deep dive in yet, but I don't know where he went to college, what his story is, but he goes off for 17 points. He was knocking down everything. Tyler Hero, he blew up in the bubble. Sixth man of the year award, he goes for 18 points. But it was all Jimmy Butler all the time. They outscored the Celtics 39-14 to in that third quarter. Tatum, 29 points, but just eight in the second half. The Celtics were without Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. Al Horford went in safety, COVID protocols, just before that game missed it. But that's no excuse. If you're winning three of four quarters in the association, you got to find a way to win. But what we've learned watching sports for years now is we cannot overreact to game ones. I don't care that the Miami Heat are undefeated in the playoffs at home. That's one of the worst home court advantages. I truly believe that. Even when LeBron James was doing things over there, winning championships, I thought fans were just going to the games because it was something to do. It was taking a night off from the streets of Miami, saying, I'm not drinking tonight, I'm going to go to the game, actually, and watch the Heat play. Not a great home court advantage. So I said, game two, Celtics are going to turn it around, baby. Let's go. I'm putting all my eggs in the Jason Tatum basket, and the Celtics got it done. In game two, they routed the Miami Heat 127 to 102. Jason Tatum goes off for 27 points. Marcus Smart comes back 24 points. Jalen Brown pours in 24 of his own. Jimmy Butler's still a strong game two performance 11 of 18 from the field, 29 points. But here's the difference only eight free throws in game two for Jimmy Butler. But the turning point for the Boston Celtics, they trailed by 10 points in the first five minutes of that game, and everyone put their hands up like, holy shit. Are the Miami Heat this good? Is this going to be a sweep? Is it going to be a gentleman sweep? Will they let the Celtics even get one? But Boston coach Udoka calls a timeout. He says, wake up, guys. What are we doing? He takes out Rob Williams, the big in the middle who actually played well in game one. He was getting lobs left and right in that first half for the Celtics. He's their rim protector. But he took them out after they trailed by 10 in that first half, put in Grant Williams, Al Horford, spread out the offense a little bit, and that's when the Celtics took off. They went 9 of 11 from three-point range in the first half. Not even the first half, excuse me. 9 of 11 in the first quarter. 
23 pointers for the game. Grant Williams ends up with 19 points. He was their game seven hero against the Milwaukee Bucks. That game was never in doubt. The Boston Celtics tie that series 1-1. I do believe that the Celtics are the better team. I don't think the series is going seven games. I think the Celtics will win it in six max. Maybe even the Celtics thought, hey, gentlemen sweep, let's let Miami Heat get one. Celtics are now 4-0. You want to bet the Celtics are 4-0 following a loss in these playoffs. Celtics led by 25 at half. 70-45 to lead. That game was over. They tossed away the third quarter demons from game one, and they went off. Tyler Hero only 11 points in game two. Oladipo, welcome him back to the stage. He scored 14 points, gave Vincent 14 points. But like I said, the difference was Jimmy Butler only getting to the line eight times. The Celtics held it down, and that was partly because Al Horford and Marcus Smart were back in the picture And they did a pretty good job holding it down for the Celts. And in the Western Conference, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it, but Luka Doncic got the Dallas Mavericks to the Western Conference Finals. I mentioned at the top, in that Game 7, there was never a worse time to shit the bed than in Game 7, the Phoenix Suns absolutely shit the bed. And you can blame everyone across the board. You can't just point one finger at Chris Paul and says, oh, there it is again. Chris Paul can't get it done in the big game. He's now 3-5 and five in Game 7s. Where was Devin Booker? He was nowhere to be found in his first career Game 7 performance. Monty Williams took the blame. He was the NBA Coach of the Year, said, hey, we didn't have our guys ready. It's the NBA. I don't know if you have to get your guys ready to perform in a Game 7. DeAndre Ayton, nowhere to be found. Are the Heat or the Phoenix Suns going to pay him? That was such a horrific performance by the Phoenix Suns. And give Luka Doncic credit. He put the boys on his back once again. And they're in the Western Conference Finals. And they played one game against the Golden State Warriors. Let's welcome the Golden State Warriors back into the mix. They've been MIA the last couple of years. They've been in the lottery the last couple of years due to injuries. But Steph Curry, Matt Barnes even said it on ESPN. If you hate Steph Curry at this point, you're flat out just a hater. He's one of the most selfless superstars. When the Golden State Warriors were winning things, seemed like every year they were in the NBA Finals, we all got Warriors fatigue. It happens with every great team across all sports. If a team's in the championship too often, we go, can we get someone else here? And I don't like the Bay Area, hate the Giants, don't like the Warriors. But this Warriors team, give them credit. They're still doing the thing, and Steph Curry is still the leader of that team. 21 points, and he grabs 12 rebounds in a Game 1 win, 112-87. to And Andrew Wiggins... The former one number one overall pick of the Cleveland Cavaliers shipped out not even a month later when LeBron James decided to take his talents back to Cleveland after winning a couple chips in Miami. Andrew Wiggins was the big man in game one. And it was partly because of his defense. 
He was the primary defender on Luka Doncic for most of the night. Luka went 6 of 18 shooting from the field, 20 points, 3 of 10 from behind the arc. Someone's got to stop him, and it looks like the Warriors have the recipe. Wiggins pours in 19, Jordan Poole 19 points. Will we see the Warriors return to the NBA Finals? I think we will. And of course, you could fade me. I think fading me is probably your best bet you could ever make at this point. I've been wrong on this podcast. It seems like every time I come on here and click the live button. But like I said earlier, we cannot overreact to game ones. Luka Doncic had seen him come back down 2-0 in the last series. But the other guys on the Dallas Mavericks have to get involved. Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleber. I mean, is this one of the worst teams if they get to the finals? Is this one of the worst teams to get to the finals? Is this 2008 Cleveland Cavaliers vibes? Is this 2001 Philadelphia 76ers vibe? Can Luka get into that mix with taking one of the worst teams to the NBA Finals? I don't know. My money's on the Warriors. I guess I'm overreacting to game one, but I'd like to see the Warriors get back to the NBA Finals because I think whoever takes on the Warriors from that Eastern Conference Finals, that'll be a hell of an NBA Finals matchup. But you got to have some faith in Luka. Luka's going to try to do whatever it takes to put the boys on his back once again. They'll play game two tonight, Friday night, to try to even that series 1-1 and then go back to Dallas. That's the NBA talk we've got. Obviously, my alliance is with Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics at this point, mainly because I still want to see Devin Rawl as a ginger if Jason Tatum could find a way to win a championship. And also because... I've put my hat in the ring. I think Jason Tatum can be the number one guy on a championship team, and I do not believe Jimmy Butler, even with that game one performance, I don't think he could be the number one guy on a championship team. So I said, let's go. Miami Heat, Boston Celtics, whoever moves on. If the Heat move on, yes, James Music said it. If the Heat move on, you have to shotgun a beer and do 10 push-ups. And that might seem easy. Most people could do it. I'm not the guy for it. I can't chug a beer, and I certainly don't know if I could do 10 push-ups. Because remember the push-up challenge during COVID when we were bored out of our minds? I jumped on TikTok, did a bunch of dances, and then the 10 push-up challenge came out where someone does 10 push-ups on Instagram, tags a bunch of people to do 10 push-ups as well. Well, I did that, and I was sore for the next three days. And I still consider myself an athlete. So I do not want a shotgun a beer and do 10 push-ups. Can't have it. Can't have it for your guys' enjoyment. I hope it doesn't happen. But let's move on to what took over this week in sports. The battle between Jimbo Fisher, head coach at Texas A&M, college football, and Nick Saban, the GOAT of college football coaches, the Alabama head coach, They are verbally going at it right now, and it is awesome. If we know anything about college football, college basketball, whatever it is, college coaches, they have the biggest egos, and they are hands down professional bullshitters. They're the best bullshitters sports has to offer. Why? 
I don't know. They do it on a daily basis. These guys go on recruiting trips all the time. For years, they go on recruiting trips, sit in the living room of these 18-year-old recruits. They lie to the parents. They lie to the kids. They're just professionals at it. They could bullshit better than anyone. So we all know about the name, image, and likeness, the NIL deals that players are starting to get. You could get paid now in college sports. But Texas A&M, since that deal came into place, Texas A&M money is showing up from all angles. I hear Texas A&M money is money like no other. It's oil money, baby. So Texas A&M is the number one recruiting class this year, and Nick Saban's got a problem with it. So this is how it started. Nick Saban was talking at some event, and he said this. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year, Saban told a group of local business leaders. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, likeness. We didn't buy one player, all right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough. So A&M becomes the number one recruiting class and Nick Saban, the Alabama head coach, Alabama's reeled off, I don't know how many national titles at this point. He's got a problem with it. Because he's no longer the top dog paying for players. And we all know Alabama was paying for players. Everyone was paying for players. But now, it's above board. You could do it. But Nick Saban's point is, Texas A&M's doing it to entice players to go there. You can't entice players to go there, Nick Saban says. That's not the rule. Once they're there, they could sign their name, image, and likeness deals. They could make however much money they make. But I believe Texas A&M, he says is paying players to go there. That's why they have the number one recruiting class. But everyone's paying players. Everyone's doing it. How do you think Alabama became the top dog in the first place, Nick Saban? You think players were just all of a sudden saying, you know what, I want to go to Alabama. I want to go to Tuscaloosa to play football. No. Not until Nick Saban got there, probably when boosters were like, all right, we've got Nick Saban. He won a national title at LSU. He knows what he's doing. Now we're going to pony up some money to become the top college football program. And they started to pay players. They were taking players from California after USC got the hammer put down on them. Alabama became the top dog they are because they were simply paying players. I don't believe for a second players were willingly going to Tuscaloosa to play college football with no money tied to it. That doesn't make any sense. So now Nick Saban's got a problem because everyone's in on it. And Nick Saban wants parity. Well, he's going to get it. But Jimbo Fisher, after hearing those comments come from left field from Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher went on a tyrant. He went ballistic. Here he goes yesterday in a press conference after hearing Nick Saban's claim that Texas A&M paid everybody. Quote, we never bought anybody, the Texas A&M coach said. No rules are broken. Nothing was done wrong. It's a shame that you've got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. We're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. Well, Jimbo Fisher, a couple months back, 
He got upset for no reason when p- people claimed that Texas A&M was paying players because they had the recruiting class. He said, you know what? We work our asses off. We're recruiting. We're out there 24-7 recruiting these kids. We're doing our job. Well, you probably are out there recruiting kids, but you're also giving them a little money to go there. You just are. But Jimbo Fisher wasn't done going at Saban's throat. He said, it's despicable that a reputable head coach can come out and say this when he doesn't get his way, Fisher said. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous when he's not on top. True. Nick Saban's mad because he's not number one. He's number two for the first time in I don't know how long. Fisher goes on. Some people think they're God, Fisher said. Go dig into how God did did his deal. You may find out a lot of things you don't want to know. We build him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. It's despicable. You must know that one of Nick Saban's assistants at LSU from 2000 to 2004 was Jimbo Fisher. He was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach under Nick Saban. So there's some bad blood here, and it's been boiling for decades now. Decades. Saban even took a shot at Deion Sanders, who's the head coach at Jackson State, because Jackson State got a top recruit. Nick Saban's going at everyone. And you could tell how insecure Nick Saban is through all of this. Both of these guys are embarrassing themselves. For Jimbo Fisher to come out and say, go dig into his past, Listen, you can dig into any of these college football coaches' past. It's probably not going to be good. You can turn a blind eye to it. College football fans are the most loyal fans ever. They're all turning a blind eye. Listen, I'm the biggest Coach K fan there is. And do I believe for a second that Coach K was never involved? No. My favorite coach of all time, Pete Carroll. He was doing it. SC was top dog. Lincoln Riley now is doing it. And it's hilarious that the SEC coaches are going at each other's throats. And Lincoln Riley's doing his thing over here. Just wait until USC is back on top, baby. I can't wait. So I love that the SEC coaches are going at it. Because once USC becomes the top dog again, which I believe they will, they're getting everyone and anyone from the transfer portal. Jordan Addison from Pittsburgh just came to USC from the transfer portal. We all know Caleb Williams. We know uh, the other receiver from Oklahoma, Mario Williams, I believe. So it's going to be good. College football couldn't come any sooner. I love every second of it. These guys are embarrassing themselves. The SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, even had to come out and say, hey, someone's got to come out and apologize. Nick Saban already did. He said he came out. And called Jimbo Fisher, which is hilarious because Jimbo Fisher said he's not answering. We're done. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. But Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, had to come out and say, we're fining you guys because we can't have this going on. And especially within our conference, we're taking digs at each other. Can't happen. But I love it. And the best thing about it all, the college coaches who say it's all about the kids, it's never about the kids. These guys are throwing darts at each other across state lines. It's beautiful. Texas A&M plays Alabama on October 8th. Texas A&M beat them last year. And man, Nick Saban, does anybody feel bad for this guy? 
I never thought I'd pick a side between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, but I'm picking Jimbo Fisher's side. And I don't even know if I want to pick a side because these guys are buffoons. But Nick Saban, you can't play victim. No one's ever going to have sympathy for you. You've won it all numerous times for Alabama, and now the game has changed and you have to deal with it. You want parity, you're going to get it because USC's back in the mix, and that's actually what I'm here for. But that took over the sports world the last three days, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher going head to head. The shit talk is at an all-time high in the sports world. Even last week, after the Dallas Mavericks knocked out the Phoenix Suns in that Game 7, Patrick Beverly, the pest that he is, I love him. You want a great NBA story? Go look into Patrick Beverly's story of how he got into the NBA and has made a name for himself in the NBA. Love his story. He went on first take after the Phoenix Suns got eliminated last week, and he went crazy. He said, oh, when I'm taking on Steph Curry, I get a good night's sleep. When I'm taking on Chris Paul, I go out partying. I stay out late, calling Chris Paul a fraud. He was throwing all kinds of shit Chris Paul's way. And Patrick Beverly, I actually had a problem with it. As bad as Chris Paul's been in these pivotal moments of his career, he's the guy that probably is one of the best players without a title. He'll go down as that along with Charles Barkley if he doesn't get one in the next years because he's 37 years old. But everyone came to Chris Paul's defense. You got to know your place. Patrick Beverly, you've made a hell of a career but I don't think you're the guy to come on first take with Stephen A. Smith and talk shit about Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, whoever it is. J.J. Redick went at him. Matt Barnes, I loved what he said about it. He said, hey, Patrick Beverly, we're in the same boat. We were the other guys in this league. People are going to forget about us when we're done. Chris Paul's a name you can't talk dirt on because he's one of the all-time great point guards so Patrick Beverly probably barked up the wrong tree because you have some pretty prominent guys on TV, NBA legends, coming to Chris Paul's defense. So everyone's fired up right now for whatever reason. And I love a good shit talk. I consider myself a great shit talker. So I love it all. Let's finish this podcast talking a little bit about Major League Baseball. I went to my first Dodgers game, the first game of a doubleheader against the Diamondbacks. Last weekend, the Dodgers played four games, so the Philadelphia Phillies nearly got swept in a four-game series. And we talked about Clayton Kershaw going on the IL. Things weren't looking good for our Dodgers. Bueller got knocked up a little bit against the Phillies. Julio Urias got knocked around. But then we had the Diamondbacks come to town. You got to love it. The Arizona Diamondbacks, who have surprised a lot of people this year. They were over 500 at one point. Don't know if they are now. But they came to town for a four-game series with the Dodgers, and all is right in the world. Because the Dodgers played four games in 42 hours and swept the Diamondbacks right out of town. The stadium looks beautiful. She never looks so good. The load seats at Dodger Stadium are the best seats in any baseball stadium that you could ever sit at. And yes, I went by myself. Love taking in a game by myself. You don't really got to talk to anyone. You could go to the bathroom when you want to. You could buy food when you want to. The perks of going to your game by yourself are pretty damn nice. 
So I took in game one of that series. Ryan Pepio made his first start at Dodger Stadium, second start overall. He's promising, but probably needs a fourth pitch in the mix. Walking too many dudes. But the Dodgers are looking all right. Top of the NL West division still. 25-12 and 12 record. They're going on a road trip. They're taking on the Phillies again for three games in Philadelphia. Then they go to Washington to take on the Nationals. And then finish it out taking on the Diamondbacks. You got the Yankees who are still pretty damn hot. 28-10, and 10, best record in baseball. They're at the top of the AL East. AL Central, the Minnesota Twins, 22-16, and 16, three games ahead of the White Sox in that division. That division's been very disappointing so far. Maybe the White Sox can turn it around at some point. And the Angels, the Angels, all the fans for the Angels were talking about how great they were doing. Then they went to Texas and got swept in three. While the Houston Astros rolled off 10 straight wins, so the Astros sit at one and a half games above them for first place in the AL West. In the National League East, the Mets are still doing things. They lead that, that division by seven games. But they're the only team above 500 in that division. Man, that's got to be nice. Pete Alonso hit a walk-off homer the other day. I can't say enough times how much I dislike Pete Alonso. Just seems fake. Moving on to the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers, four games ahead of the Cardinals in that division. And like I said, the NL West sitting pretty with the Dodgers at top. Padres, second place with an over 500 record. San Francisco over 500. So three teams above 500 in that division. So that's our update in baseball. Dodgers are still looking nice. Clayton Kershaw, unfortunately, he was set to throw a bullpen session on Wednesday. Had to push that back. Still wasn't feeling right. He's still on a throwing program, thankfully. So let's hope Clayton Kershaw gets back. The Dodgers might have to. Just might have to, probably for the better. If they trade for a starting pitcher at the deadline, because you can't have enough starting pitching in this league. But pick your side. Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher? Who's the lesser of two evils? Cannot wait for college football. It's going to be fantastic, especially when the Collie's back rocking. I got to get to a USC game this year. But anyways, thanks for listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. Follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7, the Instagram at 10 underscore 7 underscore. I think I got that wrong. It's 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.